From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, July 16th. The federal government is planning emergency releases of water from reservoirs in Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico to prop up the nation's second largest reservoir, Lake Powell. KUNC's Luke Runyon has more. Water from Blue Mesa Reservoir in Colorado, Flaming Gorge in Wyoming, and Navajo in New Mexico will be sent downstream to boost Lake Powell, which is about to hit a record low. The releases are meant to preserve the ability to generate hydroelectric power at Lake Powell's dam, which is under increasing threat due to its low level. Powell is situated on the Colorado River, a drinking and irrigation water source for tens of millions of people in the southwest. Emergency releases are set to begin immediately and could last until December. Drought conditions in the Colorado River Basin continue to worsen. I'm Luke Runyon. The Bureau of Land Management initiated their wild horse gathering for the Anakee Herd Management Area this week. The Anakee Herd is located 40 miles southwest of Salt Lake City and is often seen near the Pony Express Trail in Skull Valley. The BLM Utah plans to remove what they call 300 excess wild horses. They say forage has become limited due to exceptional drought conditions and the health of the wild horses has declined. Gathering wild horses, of course, comes with its controversies. Russ Beck with our partners at Utah Public Radio has this report. In the United States, there are around 100,000 wild horses. Utah alone has over a dozen herds of varying size, but the Anaki herd in Skull Valley are probably the most well-known. I went to see the Anaki horses with Becky Winstead, who has degrees in equine science and adult agricultural education, and has been working with horses most of her life. She taught classes at Utah State University in their equestrian program. She has visited the Anaki horses off and on for over a decade to study their behavior. Most likely, or I believe that the Anaki come from the Pony Express line. So if you go up further north, you've got more drafty, bigger horses, and those are left over from the stagecoaches. Um, if you go down further south, you've got the fancy Mustang that people want because they're the Spanish conquistador horses that were released. So every area's horses, they're not one set kind. The Anaki are popular for a handful of reasons. One being that they are relatively close to the Wasatch Front. Two, it's one of the driest stretches in North America. Because it's so arid, most of the horses will show up twice a day to drink from one of the few watering holes. The most popular of these watering holes is a set of troughs right off a gravel road. And three, the horses are genetically diverse, meaning that they have lots of different coats, including paints, buckskins, and pure white horses. The herd has many fans who have named several of the horses. There's Van Gogh, named because he only has one ear, Giraffe, Shadow, and Cremello. But the most talked about horse is a white stallion that goes by two names. Gandalf, or the old man, is what they call him. And he, I thought, was old when I saw him 10 years ago. And I was able to actually look back on one of my old pictures and get a rough estimate of his age by his teeth. And, because he was yawning. And he's probably close to the the 20 year mark which is almost unheard of in the wild horses they don't live that long so he's he's kind of a neat one we spent two days with the herd and thought we had missed gandalf but on the last day on our way out we found him standing alone on a hill overlooking the herd i think that's him oh my god 
he's yeah he's so iconic like he belongs hanging in everybody's living rooms in like a black and white sepia tone print in late 1971, the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrow Act passed. Among other things, this tasked the Bureau of Land Management, often shortened to BLM, with caring for the Mustangs. Before the act passed, the horses and burrows were treated similar to how coyotes are treated now. People regularly shot Mustangs that encroached on their land or interfered with their livestock. The BLM attempts to manage the herd by doing semi-regular helicopter roundups, then transferring some of the horses to federal holding facilities where the horses will live out their lives. Horse slaughter is currently illegal in the United States. Some Mustang activists say rounding up horses, especially with helicopters, is inhumane. The BLM and other Mustang advocates say that the land can only sustain so many horses and it's inhumane to leave them out there with few natural predators to thin the herd. I asked Becky what her ideal solution to this complicated problem would be. Honestly, I don't know. So they were administering birth control to the mares in the, the band. And when they did it, they were freeze branded to mark which ones had been given the birth control. And they had been given that birth control the year before. And so when we came out, and actually the BLM asked us, as long as we were out there, can we check and see what the ratio is of horses with that brand that have foals versus no foals by their side? They all had foals at their side. It was no different than the ones that hadn't been given the birth control. So that option didn't work. But no, there's no easy solution. The BLM will conduct helicopter roundups over the next few weeks. The goal is to cut the Anaki herd down from around 450 horses to around 150 horses. The morning of July 2nd, dozens of activists showed up to protest the helicopter roundups. The supporters included the actor Katherine Heigl and the filmmaker Ashley Avis, who recently directed Disney's new Black Beauty. They're rounding up these horses with these low-flying helicopters and stampeding them for miles, and the little newborn foals will literally run their hooves off. It's just devastating, and it, to claim that a few hundred horses are destroying the land is just completely false misinformation. Some activists say the BLM should administer birth control to mares via darts. Others think that the land can sustain many more horses and nothing needs to be done. Activists almost universally say that the BLM is favoring ranchers, cattle, and sheep over the Mustangs. They argue that it's unconstitutional because it goes against the Free Roaming Horse and Burrow Act. Becky disagrees. She thinks the roundups are the best solution to a bad situation. If there's too many horses, they won't be able to get the weight. And also, um, the overcrowding isn't just a question of feed and destroying the land. It's a question of them destroying each other. Right. So you can go through on these pictures and see some pretty horrific injuries on these horses. There's a horse with a missing ear that they don't know how it came off, but I'm sure it was a fight with a stallion, the two stallions fighting each other. And the thing about the Anakis is they are so crammed in that they interact with each other constantly. If the Anaki are descended from the Pony Express horses, then this is a problem that started over 140 years ago. And sometimes old problems don't have any good solutions. I'm Russ Beck. That piece comes from our partners at UPR. You can find more information about the ongoing Anaki Wild Horse Gathering in the show notes of today's news on our website and podcast. And now the weekly newsreel where we speak to reporters about their latest coverage of the Moab area. 
Utah's Transportation Commission recently gave the go-ahead to spend $10 million on several projects aimed at easing congestion in Moab. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent has more from their coverage. Tuesday's city council meeting, council member Karen Guzman Newton announced that UDOT has uh, approved three Moab projects designed to uh, ease congestion uh, downtown and you know elsewhere. This all began when the $10 million that Moab was awarded from UDOT to deal with congestion, mm-hmm. the original plan was to build a parking structure downtown. Um, that blew up quite a while ago, and they decided that they were going to um, have UDOT reallocate this $10 million hotspot funding. Right. And UDOT agreed and gave them you know, a timeline that they had to fill, and they came up with three projects more than half of that will be dispersed parking to add more parking spaces, similar to what you will see uh, in front of City Hall, in front of the library, with the parking in the middle of the wide road there. Mm. We'll see more of that. 2.7 will go to a shared-use pathway, okay, which are always really popular. And then we've got a, a microtransit program to get public transportation here in Moab for the first time. So these are all three big things. Karen uh, worked on the, the committee. It was a committee comprised of um, city and county officials uh-huh. and administrators and what have you. And um, a lot of work went into it. A lot of negotiations went into it. An awful lot of discussion went into it. The takeaway is good news. We're, we, we've got these three projects, which hopefully will make uh, mm-hmm. uh, life easier for uh, locals and uh, visitors alike. Yeah, so thank you for breaking those down. That's a really big deal. You know, something that I I needed a reminder of, um, I ended up running into Karen on Wednesday during the property tax open house. And, you know, she said this this hotspot funding, this 2.7 million of it will go to the shared youth pathway. It's not just a study. It's actually going to be the construction of right. the pathway. Right. She's, she said something funny to me. She's like, yep, we're done studying this. Yes. We're going to do it. Yeah. And it's it's time to quit studying a lot of things, I think, <laughs> and start doing. So also on the inside of the Times Independent this week, there's a story about infrastructure improvements along Mill Creek. What is happening there? Okay. That's a... a, a City Note story and the Mill Creek project is uh, one of the stories that is, is in there. What's going to happen is um, a major sewer line project or water improvement project uh, on Mill Creek from 4th East to Murphy Lane slash the bowling alley. Mm, okay. um, it's going to be pretty big. They, they awarded the bid to a local contractor, Harrison Field Services, it was really kind of a no-brainer because it was $700,000 difference between their low bid and the next bidder. They had a home course advantage because the cost of bringing all their equipment here is something they don't have to worry about because right. they already have, I imagine, the vast majority of the equipment that they're going to use on that project is already in town. So this will bring water improvements to Mill Creek Drive. And do we have a timeline yet on when they might start that? I believe it's going to start in the fall, but please don't hold me to it. Um, <laughs> okay. And one other thing from this story that I think is important to know, uh-huh. if you're driving in Moab City limits and you're not sure what the speed limit is, it's 20 miles per hour. 
that's the uh, the prima facie uh, speed limit, which is the assumed speed limit if you're on a road that doesn't have a speed limit sign. Okay. Uh, it has been, even though there's only two or three roads in Moab that have a 30 mile per hour speed limit, the uh, prima facie speed limit has always been 30. Uh, even though 20 is the more likely speed limit that you're going to be on. So now it's 20 instead of 30. So that's important to know. This means on any any area in the city where it doesn't have a posted speed limit sign. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and they don't have the money to put speed limit signs on every road in town. 600 bucks a piece. Right. But they're going to position 16 of them. So theoretically, nobody can come into the city limits without seeing a, at least one of those signs. At least one of the signs. Was yeah. there any discussion on the reason for this? Uh, uh, this conversation came up a few weeks ago, and this okay. was the follow-up. Uh, again, uh, Chuck Williams, the city engineer. Uh, it was a concern raised by Ronnie Deraseri, and it had, it had to do with uh, people just not knowing what the speed limit was. And uh, there's always the concern if the speed limit's 20, they're going to go 25. If it's 25, they're going to go 30. So this is just a way to, uh, I think, um, reinforce the whole throttle down in town mm-hmm. concept. Message. I mean, we already have um, low speed limits, but we also have a lot of neighborhoods where the houses are just right there. So it's probably a good thing. Finally, Doug, um, in the Times Independent this week, there's um, some big profiles of things we can look forward to for music yes. uh, this year. Uh, thankfully, we get to look forward to some concerts. Yes, we have under the uh, banner headline, The Sound of Moab's Music. <laughs> um, Moab Music Festival is going to go off this year, and um, actor and advocate George Takai from Star Trek. Uh-huh. People old like me remember him as <laughs> Sulu um, on Star Trek. Actually, he was in the movie, so younger people know uh-huh. who he is as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's going to be here. I, I think it's going to be a very moving thing. The music festival started a commissioning committee this year, uh-huh. and they commissioned uh, Mr. Takai and Japanese-American composer uh, Kenji Bunch, who has performed at the music festival uh, in previous years. George Takai is going to narrate his experience as a child uh, being confined in a a camp for Japanese-Americans during World War II Mm. while uh, musicians play Mr. Bunch's composition. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm trying to figure out how I can finagle a ticket. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it's it's going to be really, really cool. And I think uh, just having him here is going to add a lot to an event that is already outstanding. I think a lot of us are looking forward to him being in this community and also, yeah, this performance. Uh, that is, it's pretty major. You also have, um, you know, a piece about the Moab Folk Festival returning. Yes. What can you tell us about that? Uh, lots going on with the Moab Folk Festival. Melissa Smedic, who founded it in 2003, has... Uh, left due to work. Her she's got a career with the federal government, okay. and, and she's um, changed jobs. Uh-huh. So uh, Cassie Pop, who has been uh, with the festival for the past eight years, uh, has taken over wow. for Melissa. A big job. She doesn't have uh, the itinerary yet on who's going to play, mm-hmm. except for uh, May Earlywine who was voted uh, the locals' favorite uh, in the 2019 show. So she automatically gets invited to come back. So she's she's going to be be here again. Um, And that was really awesome. Um, And then um, tickets are going to go on sale August 1st, and then discounted tickets for locals will go on sale 
one month later, the Moab Folk Camp that is always a part of it since 2008. That begins October 31st and the actual festival. The only venue is going to be the, the downtown Center Street ball fields. Okay. takes place November 6th and 7th. Okay, so these two two festivals, the Moab um, Music Festival and the Moab Folk Festival, are coming um, You know, early fall and late fall. Um, but good to be aware of yes. that they're coming and that we can look forward to some music in our town. Yes, I always love to listen to the live music. I've missed it so much during the pandemic. Doug McMurdo, editor of the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. The agencies working together to address homelessness in Grand County are implementing a new approach to information sharing. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News has some highlights from their coverage. The particular effort that we're talking about in this piece um, is a small but important piece of of organization and communication. So if you imagine um, one person who might have fairly you know, serious needs, maybe has lost uh, um, their housing, they might be in contact with with multiple agencies. They might go to the multicultural center. Mm -hmm. They might go to um, the the hospital and access services there Mm -hmm. or um, Mm -hmm. through Four Corners Behavioral Health Center. So these agencies have realized that getting that particular person or family the resources that they need is much easier when everyone all of these agencies are able to work together um, and share information. Mm -hmm. That's been sort of difficult in the past because of privacy issues. And in fact, um, of course, Moab Regional Hospital can't do that, frankly, because they're um, held back by HIPAA law. So privacy is an Mm -hmm. issue there. But for these other agencies, being able to share information on specific cases makes it much faster to get people the resources that they need in the quickest amount of time okay so this is called coordinated entry mm-hmm. is it a system what are we what are we talking about here we're talking about a, a recommended process okay. and this process is sort of recommended by by federal agencies by hud uh-huh. um as just a good framework for um being able to sort of smooth this process okay mm-hmm. this is reminding me a lot of um the Moab Free Health Clinic's uh, America Vista, mm. who's working on something called the community referral system and making sure all of the agencies, if, if you need help with housing, if you need help with healthcare, um, all the agencies involved are um, communicating mm-hmm. um, around a person's case. Yeah, I mean, this idea is really becoming, you know, important. I think in it's just American society in general and much more frequently mm-hmm. talked about, not only for, you know, homelessness and um, for things like that, but also just for, you know, what are society's obligations to, to people who are in need and how can we best um, meet those needs? This process, this coordinated entry process, has it been used by, is it relatively new for our community? You- I think it's just becoming more standardized because, you know, we are a, a tight-knit and small community. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> to be frank, the, the coordinated entry program sort of is a, a system that replicates the natural way of sharing information and talking in a small community. And the Moab Valley Multicultural Center somewhat takes the, the public face and the, the lead on homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of direct service work and oftentimes have a really good um, firsthand 
impression of of what is the situation and what are the needs in the community right now. They've, you know, made a big effort to have a staff person, Liz Donkersloot, um, in that position to mm-hmm. coordinate on housing. Yeah. You know, Liz points out that while it's important for local agencies to sort of have this framework just to kind of standardize things, that it's actually really crucial for larger communities because they don't have that informal system. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit too large. There's too many people. You know, uh-huh. you don't run into someone at the store. So it's it's interesting to me because, um, you know, when you're dealing with, with businesses, with nonprofits, with any sort of um, system, when it's small and you can talk mm-hmm. to everyone casually, it's pretty easy. When it gets right. larger um, and there's more agencies and more people and less of that informal communication, that's when things get really complicated. So for me, you know, reading this, as we all look to the future in Moab, mm-hmm. I think everyone here um, is realistic and just sees that there's there's going to be more growth. And so getting these systems and practices in place now, mm-hmm. I think is going to be crucial for maintaining the the quality of our response to people in need in the future. Interesting follow-up to continued coverage of homelessness and housing in the Moab Sun News. Maggie, anything else to mention about that piece? Just that housing is an issue in this entire region. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to look at that. You know, we're also sitting down and, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, what are our main coverage areas and what are we really going to be focusing on for you know, this last part of the year. Uh-huh. And I think that, you know, any any media outlet, you know, is going to necessarily have to focus on housing. And I think that Moab is a um, really interesting example, but not the only example in our region of, of a place that has some real serious um, needs. You know, a, a, someone that I was talking to referred to it as paradise with a problem. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to highlight another article in the Moabson News on the front page. There's uh, this great shot of, I believe, some sheriff's deputies looking over a UTV at Sandflats Recreation Area. Tell us about Sandflats and uh, what they're doing with UTV numbers. Oh, yeah. We went almost a month without having a UTV article <laughs> on our front page. That's a pretty good run. Yeah, it's not bad. Exactly. And I thought this one was interesting because Sandflats Recreation Area sort of released some, some data that it's been collecting. And I, particularly on UTV, um, the UTV issue, I think that having data really grounds that conversation. Um, For residents here on both sides of this issue, Mm -hmm. it tends to, I think everyone's experienced that it tends to get a little emotional. Totally understandably when you're talking about, you know, things that that are really important to people's kind of quality of life on one side. There are people who, you know, are, are really upset by the, the perceived increase in noise and traffic. On the other side, there are people who sort of not only have kind of come to this area to do a specific kind of recreation, mm-hmm. but also business owners who have staked their livelihood on it. Right. Um, and when you're talking about quality of life and your your business livelihood, there, you really can't get issues that are, are more emotional than that. <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, we're talking about, of course, you know, hand in hand with this conversation is noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, having, like you said, to piggyback back off of the data conversation, mm-hmm. I recall people in public meetings saying, you know, it's not the um, tour companies that are the problem. It's the private owners. It's mm-hmm. not the private owners that are the problem. It's the tour companies. Right. And getting data on who exactly is recreating on our trails and, you know, whether they're private vehicles, whether they're part of a tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all really important. It is. It is. Because, yeah, it, it appears as if until we clean that up. 
there's no moving forward on this issue. And I think that, um, you know, folks involved with this issue have really recognized that. So this Mm -hmm. seems to be a year kind of set aside specifically for data gathering. And this um, article that we have is kind of an an update on what that data is is showing. Anything that the Moab Sun News found interesting about um, the data that was released? Um, I think it's interesting all the way around. And I would really um, encourage folks who are passionate about this issue to reach out and and look at the data from from Sand Flats Recreation Mm -hmm. Area. So what they released specifically was data about um, the number of UTVs and ATVs that are are going in to the recreation Mm -hmm. area on a daily basis. And they've Mm -hmm. been collecting this since mid-March. And then that's also broken down, which I think is really interesting and and very... um, was very thoughtful of them. Um, They took an extra step to also break that data down by, as you pointed out, privately owned UTVs, Mm -hmm. folks who had um, rented UTVs, and also people who are on a guided trip. So Mm -hmm. it's broken down by day of the week. It's broken down by, um, you know, type of ownership. So all of that went into it. And then this photo on the front cover which I know someone out there is going to be like, that vehicle's more of a dune buggy. <laughs> yeah, so sure. that photo was taken back in on May 27th, when um, right at the entryway to, to San Flat's recreation area where they're collecting this information. They also had a um, voluntary kind of sound monitoring checkpoint. So Grand County officials were there, and folks who were waiting in line to access the recreation area were just offered free entry just to um, kind of pull off and have their vehicle tested just mm-hmm. for how loud it was, merely for collection purposes, data collection mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, the data from that was really interesting. I was able to go up and actually hang out, um, and it was pretty fascinating seeing the 20-inch test. <laughs> it was really interesting to see that be put into place okay. and to see sort of the the officials you, you clearly like kind of like learning the the intricacies of like okay well how do, how just the 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 mechanics of right. it how are we doing this and how can we standardize this you know i also thought it was interesting cuz a lot of the folks who participated were from out of town and had their own vehicles and for them it was not an emotionally charged issue and a lot of them just pointed out when you know a sheriff's deputy would kind of explain like hey you know we're just uh-huh. kind of collecting data because you know, we've got kind of some noise issues, yada, 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 you know, sort of uh-huh. a, a boilerplate explanation. All of these folks were just like, yeah, that sounds totally, totally normal and fine. Totally fine. Compared to how yeah. uh, intense these conversations have gotten locally, it was really remarkable to hear people who clearly really love their machines uh-huh. um, not have a, an immediate uh, negative reaction. Sure. I found my own preconceptions challenged. So this data is out from Sandflats. Um, like you mentioned at the top, this is going to be a year of data collection. I believe there's going to be another noise testing event mm-hmm. um, sometime this year. And training and education for law enforcement officers right. also on the noise ordinances before uh, citations happen. Yes, exactly. Because we do, these noise ordinances are technically in place. Mm-hmm. Um, these have been been passed, um, right. but just the, the enforcement is being waived you know, mm-hmm. essentially, so that we can all get on the same page. Maggie McGuire, editor and publisher of the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That does it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters about their latest stories of our area. 
You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of KZMU News on our website and podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.